Happy New Year, and hello and welcome to the first Dairy Dialogue podcast of 2021. It is number 115, and it has three interviews. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and among other things, we're talking trends this week. The first few weeks of a new year are when we talk trends, and the last couple of weeks of a year seem to be taken up with a look back at the year behind us. It doesn't really take a rocket scientist to know that 2020 wasn't great because a year ago we were still in normal mode, and now we're not. I was booking flights to events, and even when I did travel, it was all quite seamless. Now I think I've forgotten what all the airport protocols are, and I'm no longer a citizen of the EU. If you go back far enough, actually only a few generations, I have French and Irish relatives, but that isn't enough to have a different passport. We have no idea what's going to happen with things like phone roaming charges while in EU countries, or what other kinds of documentation we will need. But I guess that's a question we don't have to worry about at the moment, because in the UK, at least, we're all back in lockdown. Apparently, it's now a race between the virus R number and the vaccination rate, which seems to be slowed down by all kinds of factors. So who knows if the shows set for the spring will take place, or when we will be able to go to live events again and sit next to somebody screaming profanities at the officials, or sitting at a concert behind somebody who feels the need to spend the entire show standing up and dancing and singing at the top of their voice, and almost always out of key. I was planning on giving you some predictions for 2021, which of course would have been largely tongue-in-cheek, but as we have some people who can give you real insights, I figure it's best we hear from them instead. Not sure whether that was the wind blowing through the window or just a hefty sigh of relief from our listeners. Anyway, on the show this week, we chatted with Rebecca Shurhey, marketing analyst at Flavorchem, Norman Stanievich, CEO of Food Union Europe, and Angela Grist, Danone North America Senior Director at Marketing. And as the markets are about as quiet as some London streets right now, we'll be back with our look at the dairy markets with Liam Fenton from StoneX next week. It's been chilly here. In fact, it was minus five this morning. That's Celsius. So much so that when people in Canada tell you the temperature and it's higher than here, you know it's bad. We did get a little snow earlier in the week, some of which hung around. And in spite of the lockdown, it seemed like the entire county descended on the same hill as we did to go sliding. We were walking and didn't intend to go sliding. Although with all the ice, we did a little bit, only without the sleds or the crazy carpet or whatever they're called. And of course now there's no school here until at least February, except maybe online. I was going to run through the news, although there hasn't been an awful lot of it. If any company really wants to grab the headlines, early January is the way to go as we scramble for news. We get to the point where, what's that? A restaurant in New Jersey has a new cheese sauce on the menu? Sure, we'll write about that. But we did have some news, even a controversial one, so do please head on over to DairyReporter.com to read them all. I mean, what else is there to do on lockdown? Listen to the podcast, I guess, and watch what sports haven't been affected by COVID tests. So let's get on with things. Late last year, I spoke with Rebecca Shurhey, who is marketing analyst at Flavorchem. And we talked about 2021 trends and the publishing of Flavor Chem's 2021 trends and flavor forecast. 
So because it was recorded in December, there are a couple of times when we talk about this year, which obviously meant 2020 at the time and not 2021. You get the idea. I wonder if you could first tell me how you compile this report, because obviously nobody saw pandemics coming in the, the last year. So how do you do your research? Yeah, well, at FlavorChem, we have access to the Innova market database. They have a new product database and some reports in there. And for me, I subscribe to all industry news emails that I could get my hands on. So my inbox floods pretty quickly with just the latest product launches, um, a lot of growth reports, consumer insights. So I typically take all of that once we hit the fourth quarter and sort of see what I apply to uh, what's been going on in 2020 and then what we can anticipate with 2021. Every month I write a uh, monthly trend watch and that highlights a particular trend within food and beverage. So as prep work for this flavor forecast was underway, I kind of take my process for those monthly postings and essentially amplify it. So instead of, you know, a standard monthly trend watch, it's an enlarged version of things that not only were trending this year, but as you noted with the pandemic, a lot of things sort of got either halted or extended rapidly, like e-commerce, meal delivery kits, and all of that. So I think uh, it's safe to say a lot of what's trending this year is going to carry on over into next year, too, since we are still living in the pandemic. So it's almost like 2020 was kind of put on hold in some respects, isn't it? It, it, yeah, exactly. Even trends like just better for you, plant-based, all of those that, you know, they're not necessarily new, but uh, they're hot this year. And yeah, they're going to be hot next year as well. The first trend that you have is breakfasts. How are you seeing breakfasts changing? And does that have anything to do with the pandemic and eating at home more? Yes. Yeah, you are absolutely right on that. I think it's pretty common that Breakfast is known to be the most important meal of the day. It's actually my personal favorite meal, so this was an exciting trend to highlight. But I think sometimes when people think of breakfast, they think of, you know, popping toast or a bagel and pouring some coffee into their, like, to-go mug and being on their way, which in all fairness is still a thing. But especially with more people working and learning from home, uh, the breakfast category is transforming to meet the versatility of consumer demand. This includes a mixture of comfort and healthier launches. And people are looking for those better for you, the convenient on-the-go packaging and just easy meal prep. There's a lot more to choose from. And uh, there's just more time to prepare the morning meals, especially while most people are sort of turning into their own home chefs. So with eating more meals at home, breakfast is certainly included in that. And I recently read an article, I believe the statistic is ready to eat breakfast cereal sales went up 12% this year compared to last year. And pretty big name brands like General Mills and Kellogg's recently and in the past couple of months, they've announced new lineups of products, whether it's cereals with, you know, simple ingredients or cereal bars and on-the-go snack packs that are based around cereals. So brands are doing kind of innovating their products like that. There's also 
it's really hot with keto. That's also not necessarily something new, but at least in the breakfast category, like keto pancake cups, there's grain-free cereal. Protein is really hot. So there's protein-packed waffles. A lot of things that are uh, freezer and toaster ready are kind of getting revamped. And then, of course, ready-to-drink beverages are kind of becoming more in tune with breakfast. So there's like protein beverages and these super coffee options. So I can definitely foresee that carrying on over into 2021 since people are either going to be working and learning from home continually, or it'll be more of that hybrid style as things get back to normal, but there's still going to be a vast majority of consumers that are going to be at home. And do you think that's also been influenced in part by the fact that people are spending more time online and they're shopping online more, so they're being exposed to things that they might not necessarily have seen in the past? They're seeing new products and new breakfast ideas that they've not thought about before? You know, I think so. They're um, not only with online shopping, but even if you go into the grocery store themselves, I think especially during the peak shutdowns in March, April, May, when aisles were, you know, empty shelves and consumers are picking up new brands that they might not have heard of or used in the past. I feel like private label, which was also a trend mentioned, but I do think those private label brands and sort of lesser known brands that are kind of innovating within this space are getting more traction, um, sort of unfortunately due to the fact that other products are being sold out. But I do think it kind of leaves room for them to make their way into the marketplace as well. You touched on plant-based a little bit earlier, Mm -hmm. but it's clearly huge and seems to be getting bigger. And when does that stop becoming a trend that people say it's a trend for the next year? And when does that just become mainstream? Yeah, that is a very, very good question. Um, And you're certainly right. Plant-based is not new. Even with Inova, they, I think 2017 was the first year that they marked plant-based eating as one of their trends. I could be wrong on the exact year, but with that in mind, from at least 2017 going into 2021, plant-based eating has still topped their top 10 trends for the year. The market, and this includes, you know, dairy alternatives, plant-based protein, I think it has a growth rate of around 9% leading up until 2023. So I would consider it to still be a trend because the market kind of keeps revolutionizing and it's expanding into different regions and branching out into different categories. So it's not all just dairy alternative yogurt, you're going into nuts and culinary and snacks. And I think brands are really getting creative with where they're sort of applying this. It was pretty recently, but uh, DuPoint Nutrition, I think they found China and Thailand's plant-based market is forecasted to grow by over 200% within the next five years, which is an outstanding number. And just Asia, the Asia Pacific market as a whole is also anticipated to increase by 25%. Consumers sort of globally are turning towards this more health and wellness focus, obviously sustainability, transparency, sort of knowing what they're putting into their stomachs, where it came from, how it was processed. And just in terms of plant-based as a whole, I think the percentages keep growing when consumers do get surveyed just to not to intentionally throw a whole bunch of statistics your way, but more than three quarters of consumers consider protein from plant sources. They sort of deem it as healthier alternatives compared to other protein 
I guess, innovations, but people are taking note and it seems like a lot of consumers that maybe have heard of it, haven't really been exposed, but it kind of seems like the pandemic is prompting people to take into account their health. And if people are deeming it as healthier alternatives, it it makes sense why they're buying these products. Are you seeing any specific products or innovations that you think will happen in 2021 in that space? Yeah, I think based on some of the current launches that I'm seeing, a lot of consumers are looking for that protein boost in beverages. So more plant-based options that are sort of focusing around oat and almond milks, these ready-to-drink coffees, and then more dairy brands are creating non, non-dairy non options. I think even if you go to like the yogurt section, just the amount of um, plant-based yogurt out there from brands like Chobani and uh, Danone, who, you know, have both options. They're hoping to do more mixing plant and animal blends together. I think that could potentially be a bigger thing next year. So instead of just having this is strictly plant-based or, you know, you're getting your animal meat, I think they're trying to sort of do some, some hybrid blending with that, which could be kind of interesting. And not only with 2020, I think this is also going into 2021, but the state of snacking has just boomed this year. While most people are at home, people are, you know, snacking is becoming more of that lifestyle. And I know, I think the thing is millennials compared to all of the generational brackets are the ones that are sort of skipping those traditional meals and places and substituting snacks. So those plant-based claims in snacking, that's on a steady rise. So things like fruit and nut inclusions, whether it's in bars or bakery items or even like brownie pieces. There was a recent pea pasta launch, plant-based crackers. So I feel like if you can name it, they're probably going to see plant-based in, in most everyday household grocery items. You mentioned in the trend and flavor forecast taste exploration. Could you give me a bit more details on what the taste exploration means? Sure. Taste exploration, at least from Flavor Comes perspective, we kind of use that to refer to the concept that consumers are seeking out food and beverage products that provide heightened sensory experiences. And what that means is just kind of food experiences that are drawn from these adventurous taste combinations, flavor mashups, hybrid products, just to name a few, really anything that you can eat or drink or taste that evokes some sort of emotion and creates more of an interesting experience. While a lot of people are stuck at home, um, I believe we refer to the term cuisine fatigue, where you're not just eating the same, I guess, I don't know, boring stuff that you would. The forecast in particular focuses on nostalgic flavors, internationally and sort of regionally inspired flavors, and then bold, more unique flavors. So um, in terms of nostalgic flavors, Mintel reported a while back that 71% of consumers say that they enjoy things that remind them of their childhood. Flavors like birthday cakes, s'mores, cotton candy, peanut butter, that's all gained immense popularity in applications this year. Birthday cake, I think more than any flavor, has exploded into everything from like popcorn to cookies to coffee creamers and beverages. And then, um, not to bring up General Mills again, but several brands are relaunching these blasts from the past and kind of revamping their current portfolio. 
And then in terms of international and regional cuisine, while many are kind of, I don't know, stuck at home and unable to, you know, fully travel, I think they're craving that sense of adventure in their food and drink while stuck at home. I think it's pretty obvious that international flavors, once again, it's not something that's new, whether it's in restaurant cuisine or um, fast food restaurants that are incorporating more ethnic style options on their menus. Um, however, recently, especially regional flavors, I think barbecue is really hot. Uh, you get like Nashville hot, Kansas City style barbecue. That's kind of making its appearance in new launches. I think Whole Foods has a few sauce options with that. And in terms of international cuisine, Latin America in particular, I think with horchata and churro flavored uh, Mexican hot chocolate, that's really, really hot. And I think Latin America tends to inspire a lot of snack trends as well. And then Middle Eastern cuisine and uh, Japan are also featured regions. It's just inspiring a lot of culinary trends. And if you can't go somewhere, it's kind of nice that you could still taste the cuisine and sort of spice up your dinner routine. So. I think like yuzu, moki ice cream is really big. So those are some things, uh, harissa too, especially in culinary. Those are all flavors to watch for. I think especially in terms of international flavors or even exotic flavors or exotic fruit flavors, I believe the best way to get consumers more open to trying new flavors is to incorporate them with a familiar flavor. So whether it's in beverages or snacks, if you take a flavor like yuzu and you incorporate it with I don't like a lemon or an orange or something that's more common, I think it kind of opens consumers' minds to this sort of flavor acceptance. And that's essentially how it can become more mainstream too. You just mentioned the nostalgic foods, which some of which I assume are based on sweet food and candy, that kind of thing. Before and during the pandemic, it seems that people are starting to look for more sustainable products. They're looking for healthier products, better for you products. Is there a bit of a disconnect between those two? And, and how are we going to see sustainability and better for you products manifest itself in the trends in the next little while? Yeah, that is a that's a very good question because there's sort of this wide spectrum of eating habits. Pandemic or not, you have consumers that are more on that comfort, indulgence side, consumers who follow those specialty diets like keto or vegan and these better for you options. And then you kind of have a lot of consumers in between that have those occasional cravings, but really try for more of that like holistic health approach. But in terms of those better for you items and sustainability, especially, consumers really are seeking out companies and are tend to gravitate towards companies that are very transparent about their production process, what practices are used. A lot of companies are doing um, sustainability initiatives where they have you know, a one-year goal, a five-year goal, in 10 years, they want all of their packaging to be eco-friendly or recyclable, uh, label transparency. 
There is something from the UN in terms of food waste. I think it's around 1.3 or so billion tons. Um, that's the global amount of food. I think that's wasted in a year. And in the United States, food waste is about, I think it's like 30 to 40% of the food supply. So with numbers like that, especially with the population and if it keeps growing, it's something that consumers and brands alike are really, really trying to counteract. I think um, according to Inova, 85% of U.S. and U.K. consumers are expecting companies to invest in sustainability efforts, and they're more likely to engage with brands that are making a positive social and environmental impact. So in terms of even just like label transparency, knowing, you know, your food was sustainably sourced or, you know, in the cocoa regions, brands are encouraged to sort of invest in these efforts with responsibly sourced food, all in an effort to go to the zero waste initiative. We've talked about all of this stuff, and but not necessarily about FlavorChem. What can FlavorChem do for its customers to help them address some of these trends? Our team, at least internally, we do um, internal webinars every quarter. Um, it's usually our marketing team and our analysts. We do presentations for our sales and R&D team um, on the latest trends and consumer insights, sort of focusing on a product category. It gives them not only a sneak peek into what's happening, but it's a good way for them to pass it on to our customers and future clients, sort of what we have in the works. And then just in terms of our clientele during the pandemic um, especially we do a lot of customized virtual presentations it focuses on specific category trends so even just taking the forecast into account one you know we might have a presentation solely on the breakfast category or solely on you know eco-friendly packaging and we do it really personalized with our customers and members of their team and we sort of provide those insights and we have different members of various departments from Flavor come on the call to answer, you know, I would handle the trend-specific questions. We have like our flavor scientists that could kind of dive into our virtual tastings. So ideally, we would like to have people on our site for our new uh, Taste Innovation Center that we recently opened. But for the time being, all of these virtual presentations, I think for us, it's a really good way that we can keep our customers in the loop of what's going on and can kind of help them brainstorm new products and flavors for their own portfolio. And so far, so good. And it seems to really be paying off. So that's exciting. You just mentioned the new Center for Taste Innovation. How does that fit in with the way that you work with your customers? So our new um, SRS Center for Taste Innovation recently, I guess, was announced to the public, even though the building itself has been in the works for quite a while now. Um, and as somebody who has an office space in this building, I can speak very highly of it and the type of space it is. Every element within the facility was designed to deliver what we call a premium sensory and boutique experience for our clients. It's sort of a destination for customers to come on site to receive the ultimate hands-on experience and they could be part of our product development process. We have an R&D kitchen, four specialized application centers. I believe it's bakery, beverage, confectionery, and culinary. 
And in each of those application centers, uh, we encourage customers to work alongside our flavor team to either taste products. Our food scientists can sort of concoct these applications and we could do on-site tastings and evaluations that way or even live working sessions with our customers. It's sort of a really neat meeting place to hold um, these flavor trainings with them. And then we also have a pilot plant sensory room and guest suites. So if clients, whether they're near or far, they have a comfortable place during their visit to stay. With the pandemic in mind, though, we recently launched a virtual sort of tour of our facility, which is probably the next best thing you can get besides being there in person. And how the virtual tour works is whether you're a current client or a prospective client, you would be in touch with someone from our sales team. And once there's a time that's set up for both parties, there's just a really a really neat page that you go to and you could kind of click on all the rooms and really get sort of that essential walkthrough experience. You can see you know, the space and high def and our sales, R&D, marketing, all of our teams can be on this call to sort of, you know, go over your your specific space. Just to kind of highlight one of the application centers as sort of an example of what I'm talking about, our beverage application center, it's called Drinkology. And uh, in there, customers can work side by side with our flavor creation team. And what they typically do is they can test a variety of these beverage products. So we specialize in coffee and tea, do alcoholic beverages, hydration beverages, and, um, you know, we could do the beverage bases and sort of test that with our customers. And uh, we also ship out samples if it is virtual. So it's a really, really nice space. And I think we're excited moving into the new year to invite more customers and even host networking events. Just it's a large space. It's very modern and a really good, a really good place to kind of get your hands-on experience. So so we're looking forward to that. But in the meantime, I think the uh, virtual tour link is also a very good option. More trends. And this time we're talking with Norman Stanievich, CEO of Food Union Europe, which produces a whole lot of ice creams in a whole lot of countries. Last year we had quite a few articles on the company and its new launches in Scandinavia and Eastern Europe, its expansion, and so in this chat we talk a little about 2020 and also about what we can expect to see in 2021. Obviously 2020 was a year like no other, but how was 2020 for Food Union? So yes, I think it's it's worth noticing that uh, 2020 of course has been a very difficult and challenging year for everybody. And it's, it proved to be a basis for evidencing the change which happened before. But I think for us, for Food Union, I would say that Food Union was better than expected. We had a very strong financial result and outstanding commercial performance despite the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, of course, we have not finalized our financials, but what we can see is that we are on track to achieve our set goal of reaching 5% increase in sales for 2020. And we also have observed that we have increased our market share on average by 0.5% across all markets and some of them more, some of them less, while increasing our profit margins on average also by 1.8%. 
I would say that this has been a result of the previous work and the previous integration and creation of the organization investments in technologies and digitalization, which enabled the resilience of our global business in the world of pandemic, because many of our countries and businesses experienced growth thanks to decisions and changes which were made before. And that also just evidences how important the agility of businesses and ability to make local market-defining decisions while having a global vision. And obviously, the pandemic made a big difference in 2020. How, how did it change things for the company? Did you make any changes to adjust to that? Yeah, we, we made a lot of changes uh, and we had to make a lot of changes to the business. Of course, first and foremost, uh, we had to focus on the safety measures and we have to focus on, on our colleagues and friends and family to ensure that uh, the safety is kept to the utmost priority and the big difference uh, with us was that we had experience from our China colleagues. So we we actually, we could have been the first of the companies uh, in Europe who introduced, uh, when I introduced pretty strict measures of, of safety already in a very early stages of spring last uh, year. But in terms of business-wise, we focused on adapting and changing the consumer behavior habits going on in the market. And we put focus on direct to consumer relations uh, in addition to strong product innovation. What I mean by that is, for example, in, in Norway and in Denmark, we have this doorstep delivery business, right? And these businesses grew by three digit percent in consumption. And we added almost 50% more new customers. It happened, of course, partially thanks to lockdown as well and, and restrictions implemented in those countries. But we have to keep in mind that Norway and Denmark was one of the easiest restrictions uh, in Europe. The other thing which we implemented and, and executed were opening e-shops. And we did so in a very short time in Latvia, in Lithuania, in Romania, in Denmark, in Hong Kong. And also we are on the way of doing so in Norway. Both of these, the, the doorstep delivery business and e-shops in the countries that I mentioned, are important tool for ensuring this direct communication with your customer, getting a feedback and forming a, a stronger bond, and which enables us to learn and understand what are the expectations and the preferences of the consumer much better so than maybe before we were able to do that with the intermediate stores in the middle. And let's not forget that this was also a year when we launched over 100 ice cream novelties and, and many of them became really best sellers uh, in their respective markets, achieving top three positions. So the combination of innovation, digitalization and agility on the channels, product development and staying local, I think were the main drivers for developing business that we had. At the same time, of course, we also had to put a more stricter control on the costs, such as marketing and certain business support costs, because what it meant was that in times of uncertainty and turbulence, we had to be a little bit more careful on that. And, and therefore, we had also to reevaluate our sales plan because many of the channels 
such as the public places, uh, uh, amusement parks and mass gatherings, which typically are, are very important for ice cream sales during the summer, were closed last year. Thus, we had to um, adapt to the new environment and reshuffle the focus of the sales and commercial teams to available other channels such as e-commerce or direct sales or indeed forming new working relationship with the modern trade or retail chains. And what we saw as one of the large challenges for this year was also the supply chain because the disruption of global supply chain, because we have to keep in mind that ice cream seems like a small and um, simple product, but in some instances it includes up to 30 ingredients from all over the world. You know, yes, the, the milk and cream would come from local farmers, but then you have a wafer for the cone would come probably from Italy. And when the Italian factories were closed during the summer, that upset the supply chain. Then in addition, the change of the global transport and the difficulties of crossing the country borders on the road also presented great challenges. And that in itself had a significant impact on the supply chain planning analysis. And we had to be much more careful and maybe have certain um, safety margins and safety stocks to go ahead, which of course puts a larger pressure on the working capital as well. But then in many instances that was offset by the automation and efficiencies that we tried to do and an improved planning that we tried to do in the organization to achieve the compensation in some instances by maybe the, the reduction of sales that we had in some of the channels or maybe disrupted supply chains that we experienced. The good thing, of course, and which proved to be very important is that your cooperation locally in each of the markets with your suppliers, such as, for example, in Latvia with the farmers and also in all of our countries with the respective retail chains is extremely important because A, the consumers, especially in times of pandemics, they highly value the fact that you are a local producer and they value the fact that you are there, also a local employer in the respective region or country. Nobody really knows with the pandemic what's going to happen and we don't know what's going to happen in different countries because I assume countries are going to approach this very differently. How do you plan for 2021 for what's going to happen when you're not really sure what the pandemic situation is going to be like and how it's going to change from country to country? Indeed, the setting up the goals for 2021 and developing the budget for 2021 was uh, no less greater challenge than uh, going through the year of 2020. Uh, reason for that, of course, is the high uncertainty uh, of the environment. However, what is important is that, and what we relied upon, is the factors that we could control. And, uh, and those factors include the new foundation basis, which is, we believe, we have built for the previous few years. And this is the basis from which we want to develop further. And by that, I mean our new business models, our agile approach, the ability to work remotely, and that we can capitalize on the work that was done in previous times. So what we will do is we will try to focus on developing further our directs to consumers, reaching them directly. So through digital channels, through e-shops, through doorstep delivery, 
And we will also try to have a higher degree of interaction with our consumers wherever they would be and try to use the available um, tools that we have to develop that. Equally, there will be, I would say, even to a higher degree that in 2020, development of new products that we want to launch in the market. Because we see that, uh, as we know, ice cream is an indulgence and product that brings joy and happiness. And, and that's why we see that also as our responsibility to ensure that in times of this uncertainty and everything that may seem pretty gloomy, that at least you're able to get this little joy from buying a nice, tasty ice cream. And yes, I mean, we, we think that for the next year, we will have possibly even more uh, novelties than we did this year. The third aspect which we will continue to do is to develop also our internal communication and to ensure that the exchange of information internally is, is happening to facilitate the internal knowledge, which is generated from the consumer's and from the organization that we learn in each of the market, because we have understood that curiosity and learning locally and then sharing that knowledge on European and even global level are some of the key benefits that we as a food union hold over many of our competitors, because we are uh, essentially a local company with the global uh, abilities and views and strategies. So that plays in our great advantage and we continue to strengthen that approach also for 2021. And as far as 2021 goes, are, are there any trends that you're seeing? I know you have your center there in Riga that develops new products. What are you seeing as 2021's potential trends? Indeed, as you said, the Riga will remain as the center of uh, competence for ice cream development for our uh, Europe, where we will um, further strengthen and enable the R&D capabilities that we have in here. The trends for 2021 that we see are possibly already a little bit uh, kicking in in the end of the last year is the higher focus of the consumers on being more conscious of the food that they buy. I don't mean sort of the health or, or anything like that, but I would say there are two elements to that. One is they want to have a local produce. So they want to have a company which is rooted in the respective country where they are. Yet, they want to have also this R&D ability, for example, that we are able to develop a very innovative and interesting solutions, tastes and ice creams for around the world, but they would be produced, adapted, and the uh, cream predominantly among uh, other ingredients would be sourced locally. So locality is becoming a big trend also in ice cream, and we see that playing a major role. The second is, I think, also the awareness of cream content of ice cream is becoming more because as we know many ice creams are still produced from vegetable fats yet the cream milk cream ice creams are um, in my personal opinion better tasting and they also they they are the, the cream ice cream which we refer to as our childhood ice cream and i think what i what we see in many countries the awareness for that is, is increasing and people want to choose the milk and cream ice creams or the vegetable fat ones. 
at the same time, it's also the speciality, tastes and flavors in each of the markets, which has started in maybe in the, in the last years, and that is continuing to develop and evolve for the years. And in some instances, the special diet products, possibly that, especially in the dairy that we are offering um, here in the Baltic states. And I think that these will be the central trends for 2021. The, you know, I don't expect that the entire sales channels will change because once the restrictions will be lifted, it's pretty naive to assume that people will stay home and not go to the stores because I think the socialization element and the visual appreciation of the products on the shelf still will play a major role. However, possibly the entire e-commerce and the, the doorstep delivery business would have grown to a new level and it will obviously continue to play a much more significant role in the total sales splits than it did before. And if you're allowed to tell me, what do you have planned for 2021? I'm afraid I can't disclose your fantastic tastes, although I have been lucky enough to taste some of them that we will be launching in the novelties. But you will have to take my word for that, that they will be very, very tasty, very interesting. And uh, I encourage everybody to look out for it. I think we will have a very fascinating uh, and interesting dairy produce development expansion in the Baltic states, which we a little bit started in the end of the last year. And we expect that the 2021 will see and experience a bigger growth of the value-added dairy products across the other two Baltic countries. And continuing on the markets, we will continue to focus our efforts on developing uh, our Southeast Asian markets in Hong Kong, Singapore and Taiwan, where we have established ourselves with a presence. The consumers have welcomed us very well and they, they like the product that we offer there. And we intend to, to focus on that further. And of course, until the situation is not changed and also after that, a lot of the company resources are allocated to the safety and sustainability of the business processes, such as the uninterrupted business production is enabled to continue despite all of the externalities which we are faced with. That's great. I look forward to seeing the uh, press releases as they come out. And <laughs> do you think you'll beat your 117 or whatever it was from, from last year? I think we might. We just <laughs> might. <laughs> No 2021 trends in this next conversation, but I do feel, looking into my very cloudy crystal ball, that one thing that will be important in 2021 is food waste. Danone North America's Too Good Yogurt is tackling food waste with the introduction of its Good Save product line. In partnership with Full Harvest, Too Good Good Save uses verified rescued produce to create lower sugar yogurt products, with the goal of reducing food waste at the farm level. The product is the first dairy product to utilize 100% verified rescued produce. The initial offering features lemons that are 100% verified rescued, and there are plans to launch additional flavors in 2021 and beyond. To tell us about the scheme is Angela Grist, Danone North America Senior Director of Marketing. All right, so I guess you have a, a new product out, and I wonder if before we start talking about that, I wonder if we could 
sort of backtrack a little bit and you could fill me in about what the scale of food waste is in the US? Yeah, sure. So as per the rest of the developed world, the scale of food waste in the US is pretty huge, huger than most people realize. So in the US, we actually waste 30 to 40% of the food we produce. And that is the equivalent of $218 billion of monetary loss and actually makes up 21% of our landfill content. And when you think about all the water and electricity, which goes into making this food and add it all up, it actually emerges that food waste is the single biggest contributor to climate change. And really something that, you know, the industry needs to start thinking about. And what kind of, you know, really always shocks me is that a lot of the food wasted is really good, wholesome food, which could have gone to feed people in need, which is really relevant when you consider that currently up to one in six Americans is facing food insecurity as a result of the economic fallout of COVID-19. So really finding ways to reduce or ideally eliminate food waste is more relevant now than ever. So I guess a lot of the food waste isn't necessarily just down to spoilage and getting old. I mean, a lot of it is just because it's not cosmetically pretty enough, I guess. Exactly. You know, a lot of food waste happens for that reason. It's deemed uh, ugly or imperfect fruit. So that's a big reason, as well as other reasons such as overproduction um, or oversupply and the farmer, you know, for example, not being able to to find a full end market for, for the produce he's producing. I wonder if you could give me some details about Full Harvest and the partnership that you have with them. Yeah, sure. So Full Harvest is a relatively new organization. They were founded in 2015 and they are actually on a mission to reduce food waste at the farm level. So they actually work directly with a network of farmers to identify produce that those farmers have, which has no contracted buyer. So it would essentially be going to waste, i.e. would be sent to a landfill if Full Harvest didn't intervene. And they connect those farmers using their digital marketplace to buyers who are able to to sell or, or use this produce in some way so that instead of that produce going to landfill, it can be used and the result is less waste and more nutritious food going to consumers and also more economic opportunity for those farmers. Important to know is they are actually the only company which currently provides independent third-party verification that the food they sourced from farms would have otherwise gone to waste if they had not intervened. The partnership on the Too Good Yogurt, why was that formed? Yeah, sure. So just to talk a little bit about Too Good Yogurt, actually, before I talk about the partnership. So Too Good, also relatively new. It's a a yogurt brand which we launched just over two years ago. Uh, It's been a huge success. We actually won a Nielsen Breakthrough Innovation Award last year, which was great. And this product was born from the belief that we can all do more with less. And this starts with the product itself, which has significantly less sugar than the average yogurt, because we make the product using a unique slow-straining process which actually removes sugar from the milk. So the end result is less sugar. We have two grams total sugar per serving, but actually still have a delicious taste, still have 12 grams of high quality protein per cup. 
And, you know, when we saw the huge success of this product, we decided to take our belief even further and to tackle, you know, this huge issue facing our industry of food waste and really saw an opportunity to literally do more with less. How can we have less food waste and feed more people? And in exploring the space, we came across Full Harvest and the amazing work they do and decided to work and collaborate with them in partnership to come up with an innovation platform in our category, which uses their produce to create a new line of products to really provide consumers the opportunity to really play a role in helping to reduce food waste by buying these products. So essentially, we combined our expertise with their expertise to create a sustainable business model, which can really address the issue of food waste and provide consumers with an opportunity to vote with their dollars and be part of the solution. And so does Full Harvest source the products? Yeah, so they actually uh, source an ingredient that we're using in our new product. So the, the new product we are launching with them is called Too Good, Good Safe. It is made with Maya lemons, which we have sourced from farms in California in partnership with Full Harvest. So these lemons are lemons which would have literally been sent to landfill if we hadn't intervened due to the fact that there was either an oversupply or due to cosmetic blemishes. And so we are taking these lemons and using them to produce this delicious new product, which actually launched at the end of last year. It's available now nationwide at Target. And yeah, we think it's a great way to to use these lemons and prevent them being wasted. So you mentioned the lemons being from California and some of them not necessarily perfect. Is this an opportunity for the company to look into other products that you can do something similar with? Yes, definitely. So now that we have this amazing partnership with Full Harvest, we are indeed exploring other products we can launch further down the line using the same model of rescuing produce, which otherwise would have gone to waste, and using it to create delicious low-sugar yogurts for the consumer. So more news to come on that in 2021, but definitely more, more products coming on this platform. You kind of wonder why this is something that hasn't been done for a long time because it seems like a bit of a no-brainer yeah definitely definitely it definitely makes you know a lot of sense for the farmers and you know also uh for consumers too and and ultimately for the environmental reasons we we discussed so we're really pleased to have come across full harvest and to be able to work with them to really rescue this fruit which would literally otherwise be sat in a landfill right now and what other things is Danone doing in terms of food waste beyond these new products? So, again, under the Too Good brand, we launched a huge initiative last year. It's called our One Cup Less Hunger program. It's a relatively simple concept, actually, borrowed from the world of fashion, which is that every time a consumer buys Too Good, we will help rescue and provide an equal amount of food for someone facing food insecurity in partnership with some pretty well-known food rescue organizations. So We Don't Waste, who are based in Denver, and City Harvest, who are based in New York. So it's a one-for-one program, and it means, like I say, literally every single time you buy Too Good, you will be helping to provide food to someone in need, which given the huge food insecurity issue here at the moment is super relevant. So this is really a huge initiative for us. It's something we're putting a lot of effort behind. Uh, It's really an example of how this brand, Too Good, is walking the walk behind our purpose. And actually, the 
dollar value of the the food that we will be donating is equal to what we would have spent historically on major advertising campaigns. So it's really a big commitment uh, for us, for the business, but something we really want to do. And we, you know, in order to really show how we can use our business as a force for good, hopefully inspire others to do the same and ultimately provide ways for consumers to continue to vote with their dollars and and to make a difference on these issues. You know, if I look at our 2021 forecast, this program will actually be enabling us to rescue 61 million pounds of good food, which would have otherwise been wasted, as well as providing 37 million meals to people facing food insecurity. So, so we're really proud of the initiative and the fact that it's really tackling head-on such important issues. How else can the end consumer make a difference other than buying, you know, caseloads of your too good products? <laughs> yes, no, indeed. I mean, there's many ways when we think about the issues we've been talking about, uh, which consumers can make a difference. So volunteering at local food banks or, you know, donating to these wonderful food rescue organizations who are making a difference day in, day out uh, to the lives of those facing food insecurity. I think anyone living here has seen, you know, the news reports of the very long lines currently outside these food banks and these food organizations. They desperately need as much help as possible. So, you know, this is one really big way. Uh, But also just, you know, in the home, sort of being very conscious of food waste and, you know, writing shopping lists to avoid um, buying food people, you know, that consumers don't need um, or finding ways to use up all those leftover bits and bobs in the fridge through new recipes or something I did recently, just getting a composting bin so that you're actually composting your scraps instead of throwing them, you know, into the regular garbage. These are all just great ways which can all add up and actually make a difference. All right, that's it for another show, which means I have to get thinking and get some more interviews done for the next one. Hopefully everyone will be back in the swing of things and back into a routine again soon. And so with a complete lack of anything else to say, or at least anything remotely interesting, I hope wherever you are in the world you have a great week, stay safe, take care, and, as always, thanks for listening.